Shabbat shalom. Earlier this week and across the Jewish world, we celebrated the Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day. The reason we have annual days of commemoration, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is to mark an historical moment that is considered to be of such monumental importance as to distinguish that event from other less important events and to encourage us to reflect on its significance. So for example, American Independence Day was such a towering moment in our history and frankly in the history of the world that we have marked the fourth day of July as the day we devote to remembering those events and encouraging renewed devotion to the cause of American freedom. It's the same with Israel's Independence Day. We have marked the fifth day of the Hebrew month of ER as the day the Jewish people remembers those events that brought about Jewish independence 69 years ago this week and a day that encourages renewed Jewish commitment to Jewish self-determination. So I was thinking this week about how much more difficult it is to appreciate the historical enormity of an event if it's recent. When it comes to historical significance, the further we are from the moment, the more important we think it is. It's easier for us to value events that occurred long ago than those that occurred in our lifetimes. When we live through an occurrence, the majesty of the moment is sublimated by all of the daily pressures and daily routines that we have. We're too close to the moment and too burdened by daily affairs to allow the majesty to seep in. The very word history implies that a sufficient amount of time has passed for an event to enter into the canon of noteworthy moments in human affairs. Writings gain stature by virtue of their antiquity. The Bible is cherished for many reasons. Among them, its age. It conveys to us the sense of profound truths by virtue of its longevity. Shakespeare is more popular now than during Shakespeare's lifetime. Not only because it's great, but because it's old and great. Since we live American independence every day, it seems, it does not seem to us that American independence is particularly exceptional or unusual. It's our reality. But when we are able for a moment to think of the confluence of events that led to victory in the Revolutionary War. It grabs our, our emotions and affects us deeply, intellectually, and even spiritually. We elevate historical figures in comparison to contemporary leaders who we consider pedestrian, average, and unexceptional. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and even 
Andrew Jackson, who for some bizarre reason is in the news this week. They take on mythical dimensions. They become sanitized, sanctified, or even canonized in a secular way. We consider grasshoppers, we consider contemporary leaders to be grasshoppers in comparison to the giants of the past. Well, come to think of it, sometimes that's actually true. <laughs> History, the mere passage of time, softens leaders' rough edges. We view Abraham Lincoln as almost flawless. And even if we are aware of his flaws, we forgive them. Martin Luther King was assassinated 50 years ago next year. And already, only 50 years later, his controversial nature, the traits that action, and actions that made him great have been submerged, sublimated, and suppressed in favor of a much more cuddly and friendly personality featured in the general narrative of our times. Likewise, Jewish self-determination does not seem to us to be exceptional or unusual because it's our daily reality. We do not think about the thousand years of national existence and the 2,000 years of yearning and dreaming for Zion while in exile. We think of the moment. The existence of a Jewish state is so normal. If anything, it is in vogue to criticize Israel today. The more savage the attacks, the more credible you are, especially in our camp, the liberal or progressive camp, downplaying the historical significance of Israel has become so fashionable in progressive circles that there has emerged a new cockamamie liberal theory called intersectionality. I don't know if any of you have heard of that yet. That postulates that you cannot be pro-Israel and liberal at the same time. You cannot be a Zionist feminist it's a contradiction in terms by their very nature. The Haftarah portion of the week contains one of my all-time favorite biblical passages. It's from the book of Amos. You're chanting that tomorrow. Amos lived in the 8th century BCE, 2,700 50-odd years ago, long enough ago by far to acquire mythical status in my mind. He was a Judean from Tekoa, a village some 15 miles south of Jerusalem, but he preached in the northern kingdom of Israel. He prophesied destruction in a message that contains eternal truth and redounds through the ages to our own very day, Amos was convinced that rampant individual and collective injustice would bring about the destruction of the Jewish kingdom. 
In our Parsha, he proclaims, Behold, the Lord God has his eye on the sinful kingdom. I will wipe it off the face of the earth. I will give the order and shake the house of Israel as one shakes sand in a sieve. All the sinners of my people shall perish by my sword. Some 30 years after Amos proclaimed these words, the northern kingdom of Israel was indeed destroyed. The ten tribes disappeared. They became known as the ten lost tribes. They weren't lost in the sense that they wandered out into the woods and couldn't find their way back home. They were lost to history forever. They were killed, conquered, exiled, and eventually disappeared, completely absorbed and assimilated into time itself. This is what happened to all the nations of antiquity. When they were conquered, they disappeared. Even the great empires disappeared. As I think you know, a synagogue delegation will be traveling to Greece and Germany at the end of the month to understand better and to bring relief to refugees. By the way, it's not too late, even now, to join us. Just call the office on Monday, follow the instructions, and meet us in the lobby of our hotel at 2 o'clock in Athens on May 24th in the afternoon. When Greece was conquered by Rome, ancient Greece was finished. And the same thing happened to Rome when Rome was conquered by German tribes. The best we can hope to do is study the documents and look at the yard and buildings and rubble they left behind while imagining their essence and their glory. But there is no people today and there is no nation today that culturally, religiously, or philosophically represents ancient Greece. For sure, they left a legacy on us that impacts on us today, a profound legacy. But modern Athenians are not, nor do they want to be, the Greeks of ancient times. The same can be said of those living in modern-day Rome. Every nation of antiquity disappeared. except for this one small people from the southern kingdom of Judah. It outlasted the northern kingdom of Israel by 135 years, eventually falling to the Babylonian Empire in the year 586 BCE. In one of history's miraculous developments, the Persians, who conquered the Babylonians, allowed the Judeans to return. And they didn't disappear like the northern kingdom because only three generations had unfolded from the exile to the return. The descendants 
of the exiled returned and they restored the kingdom, rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. The restored nation lasted for another six centuries until the final destruction in the year 70 by the Romans. We are called Jews because we are descendant from those ancient Judeans who returned and restored the kingdom. The northern Israelites are extinct. They're lost. It's hard for us to appreciate Jewish independence and self-determination because it's our daily reality. We don't think of the miracle that this small southern tribe of Judah lasted, unlike any other nation of antiquity, lasted for 2,000 years until 1948 on the fifth day of Iyar, when the Jewish people proclaimed self-determination and recreated the national sovereignty of the Jewish people. We don't think of that. But when I find myself taking it all for granted, often, I reread the Haftarah passage of the week, the 2,700-year-old prophecies of Amos. When I'm in Jerusalem, observing the hustle and bustle of the modern metropolis filled with life, energy, and vitality, I often think of the last words of the prophet Amos. Veshavti et shvut ami Yisrael. I will restore my people Israel. They shall rebuild ruined cities and inhabit them. When in March, I see some of you were on our March mission, we visited one of those amazing Israeli wineries that are taking the enological world by storm. When we were there, I thought of Amos. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And the mountains shall drip with wine. When I drive through one of those fertile valleys in the Galilee during the growing season, I think of Amos. They shall till gardens and eat their fruits. And all the hills will wave with grain. When I read in the daily papers all of the blood-curdling threats against the Jewish state and find myself consumed by anxiety, I console myself with the words of Amos. Akim et sukkat David I will set up again the fallen booth of David. I will mend its breaches and set up its defenses anew. I will build it firm as in the days of old. And I will plant them upon their own soil. Nevermore to be uprooted from the soil 
I have given them. Amar Adonai Elohecha. Thus says the eternal God.